Welcome to the Cross Sands Christian Centre podcast. Based in the small Welsh village of Cross Sands in Carmarthenshire, we've always been passionate about sharing God's love with our local community. And now, thanks to the podcast, we can share that love even more widely. Wherever you're listening to this podcast in the world, we pray it will be a blessing to you. Sending much love from us and God to you. Thank you for listening. So, um, last time we were... um we were looking at the uh, the principle of first mention, and, and I got quite a buzz really getting into John a bit. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll just keep with John for the moment because, in, 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 given that his gospel is very different to the others, and uh, it doesn't take the logical approach that you might think about when it comes to a story. Uh, a story has a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And yes, it's got a beginning and it's got a middle. But actually, his beginning goes right back to the very beginning, and his end is the ultimate. And so you, you just get this real different feeling when you read John by comparison with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's not just, that's not to, not to belittle Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because obviously they are very important in all of our understanding of, of the ministry of Jesus. Um, but collectively, you can rather, you know, and, and the writers often do, they, or the commentators, they put them together to get the sort of the narrative, and then they look at John in this separate way. And John is held in this, this, this very special place. And Sherry, after we were talking about the, 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 the narrative Bible, you went out and you went looking for one, and, and, and similarly, Steve went looking for one in terms of, and if you actually turn to the very front of the narrative Bible, do you know how it starts? In the beginning was the word. And that's how the narrative Bible starts. And think, oh, okay. So it isn't, John's gospel it really is in a different place. So, uh, um, so and so I played with that to begin with. I put that all. I put those two together: the beginning of John and the beginning of Revelation. And I made one word switch, and I bet you won't even spot it. In the word switch. And my justification was one John, the book of one John. So I thought I can use that to justify if anybody challenges this. So I'm going to read that because I just like it from a completeness point of view because it leads on from where we were last time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, creating the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of of God was with God in the beginning, hovering over the waters. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made, in him was life, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and that light was the life of all mankind. God saw that the light was good, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and he separated the light from the darkness, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And I just thought, whoa, they really do go together so well. The one word I changed, I think I changed one life to light, because I think my justification was um, uh, God is light, is is quoted in 1 John. That's my justification. I can do that, because I can interchange it. I mean, he was encapsulating all of this together in that first thought. So it seemed right to try and look at John with a context of not going through John as in sort of necessarily chapter by chapter, but try and pick out places where we see either a phrase from the Bible that reflects what's gone on before or the use of first mention and also try and pick out what's different about John's Gospel and what he's trying to do, and perhaps look at how that all fits together. So I don't know where this will go. I know where it's gone this week, uh, in terms of the, the, the bits and pieces I'm due to pick up. We're just going to start in chapters, chapters 1 and 2 still, and look at those. But there are immediately some examples that 
that rather grabbed me from that point of view. And John's Gospel is split into two halves. Uh, you've got the first 11 chapters, and then you've got the last 10 chapters. Now, the first 11 chapters are, if you like, the, the ministry of Jesus. So, effectively, the first 11 chapters of John cover the sort of the, the ministerial period that the Matthew, Mark, and Luke are talking about. And then the last 10 chapters, or the, 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 the last 9 plus 1 if you want, because the last one is after the resurrection, but if you like, those, but those last 10 chapters, effectively, the, 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 the first 9 of them are all in one week. They encompass the, 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 the Passion Week. And what, and what the, um, one of the commentators is saying in, in, in what I was reading is that they like, some, some, some have called the, those first 11 chapters the Book of Signs, and then the last 10 chapters, the Book of Glory. And, and John uses this, the, the process of going through effectively seven signs that he describes. And he actually numbers the first one and the second one. So he goes through, and then he stops. But he goes through seven signs which point to God's glory, and then he says, and I'm now going to show you God's glory from there on. And the last of those signs we've already done, because the last of those signs was the, the, the raising Lazarus, raising Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the grave was the last of those seven signs that he was talking about. And then he goes off to become, you know, the, this, the, 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 how a, a sacrificial lamb, and he comes to the, you know, his raising from the dead as, that, as the triumph in, in the glory. So, the signs to point to his glory, and then John says, and here is his glory. So that's how he's, I hadn't realised that, but that's how he is structured uh, his, uh, his gospel. I've no idea where I've got to now in terms of what I've written down, but never mind. Um, and so, at the very least, we'll try and look at some of those, these two, we'll look at some of those signs as we, as we try and go through different things, but not today. It's just chapter one and chapter two that we're going to look at today. Although I would, sh I should just mention, and the other thing that John emphasises, um, he is clear in the purpose of his book. The key, the key verse is the one we all know, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I don't, and that's not the version I would normally read. It's the version that's stuck in my head because it sticks in everybody's head from something or other. So you all know it in, you all know it one way or another. But everybody knows John three sixteen. So in that respect, John has met his goal. He's he's stuffed that well and truly into all of our heads, and that's his key verse. And he was very clear that the that the what the reason for him writing this is is uh, summarized in in he wrote it down um, in. In, at the end of, his, of, of the, the book, chapter 20, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what I want you to get from this book, and that's my key verse, is what he says in, in, uh, in, in his gospel. So, um, let's use that mechanism, as I said, to, to look at what's going on and see if we pick out different things that then give, you a, give us a buzz. Uh, because clearly that's what he is intending for his Jewish hearers or listen, readers and listeners when he's, when he's writing to, to him. So we're going to pick up the story um, uh, in the account in, in chapter 1. Uh, we've had that declaration which, which 
uh, effectively encapsulates everything about Jesus in that first declaration from John. And then he goes on to, to, to get into the story and he's introducing us to John the Baptist and the work of John the Baptist and, and, and how he fits in all of that. And there is one of these, um, one of those moments in this, in this story. So John uh, chapter 1 verses 19 to 23. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Yeah. I read that wrong for me. Make straight the way for the Lord. Um, uh, it, the, inter- the, uh, the interesting thing about I got from reading the the, the NIV uh, with all its punctuation is that I think the punctuation is all wrong. I think the way the way John emphasizes it is very different to, to the way the NIV in uh, Isaiah emphasizes it because he John says. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the, make straight the way for the Lord. That's how John says it. And that's how I, I tend to read it in Isaiah. But that isn't how Isaiah expresses it. Isaiah, in the NIV, says, The voice of one calling, or a voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the desert, for a, a, desert a highway for our God. And you see, that, can you get the difference? In, it's, it's almost like saying, only in the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord. And that's, that's, now, who's right, who's wrong? I think, obviously, John is quoting it and, 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 and as written in the, in, in the English, is, is, you know, with the emphasis and the punctuation from our, for, for our benefit. It's probably the way that John said it. Because, of course, otherwise we're limiting God uh, to only the, the wilderness. And that, that isn't the exp- what we should really be getting from this. And, of course, Hebrew, Greek, do not have any of that punctuation that we get. And bear in mind, all of the, you know, Viv and I were talking about chapters and verses in the week, about how, when they came and how they came. Chapters and verses are modern inventions. They were scrolls in the old days. They were presumably scrolls even in the time of, um, uh, in, in the time of the Greeks. Had Greeks got into books at that stage or not? I can't remember. When did, when did book, book formats the first come? Anybody know? When did we first see books? Pass. No? Yeah. But, it, but, but regardless... Yeah, so we, but regardless, whether, whether the Greeks had books or scrolls, they didn't have the same level of punctuation that we get, which otherwise puts thoughts in our heads. So, the way John is expressing himself, I'm the one, I'm here, I'm, I'm the one who's in the desert declaring, bang, this is what I'm declaring. Whereas, if you read the English and the Isaiah, it's all wrong. It all, it all seems to say, only in the desert. And I thought, ooh, so that was interesting. Anyway, that's not the point I was getting at. As soon as, as soon as the, 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 the Jewish, sorry? The Romans. The Romans introduced books. Yeah. Scrolls were used by the ancient Greeks. The Romans eventually found a scroll too cumbersome for lengthy works and developed the Codex, which is the formal name for the modern style of book. Codex. I've seen that word, Codex, now. So a Codex is a book. 
Excellent, thank you. Yes, yeah, so so around the time of the of, of the New Testament, codices were coming into books. That's, that's a posh word for, for many codexes. <laughs> codices were coming into existence in and libraries and, and all that sort of thing. And when you think about it, I mean, a library could have either, but um, but they but 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 books are on on their way as it were. Mike, hello. There's another alternative. We're all in the wilderness till we find them. Yeah, I'll give you that. We're all in the wilderness until we find him. All right. Yeah, we are. Um, but as, as I say, I think the context, though, uh, of Isaiah is actually bigger even than that. So if, if you're a Jewish listener and you hear, um, uh, uh, prepare, the way, prepare the way of the Lord, you don't just hear all of that. You go straight to uh, the, the whole of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5, and you hear, Comfort! Comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. For, for, uh, oh, sorry, whoops. Sin has been paid for. Where has it gone? Oh, dear. That she has received. Wait a minute, wait a minute. My notes have gone all out now. Sorry. Yes, right. Oh dear. Hang on. There it is. Where are you trying to read from? Isaiah? Yes, Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 5. Comfort. Comfort. No, I've got, I've got it. I've got it. Comfort. Comfort my people, says, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her her hard service has been completed, that, that a sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the, in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the, of the Lord has spoken. So I think, Carol, the context, I mean, the context is broader. It's about that triumph of, uh, of, of, uh, of the Messiah, of Jesus, over the whole creation. Now, so... When he quotes that little bit from, from Isaiah, they suddenly see this is the Messiah come to change everything that's going on in this Roman world. They were looking for a Messiah to get them out of this Roman oppression, if you remember. That's, what it, that's, that's why they, 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 they say, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because they expected when he was coming down that mountain that he was leading a revolt. And he was going to, you know, go into Jerusalem, cast out the Romans, blah, blah, blah. All of that is in their head for their coming Messiah, who they see as soon as he quotes that verse. So that verse leads to, they see all of this in their heads. And this is why the Pharisees immediately start to get really worried about what's going on with this man, uh, Jesus. Or not uh, John and Jesus, but they were worried about John initially. But now they hear, no, it's not me. It's somebody else, and I've seen him, and he's bringing this with him, is what they hear when they hear that, that quotation from Isaiah. And it, it, uh, it goes on, obviously, from there on in. Uh, That's brilliant, Mike. Why is it worrying? It makes so much more sense. Preparing the desert, preparing the wilderness, preparing the mountains. That's one I've never seen it like that. There's more. And there's more. There's even more coming. Yeah. Why is it worrying? Because the Pharisees are... They should be excited, shouldn't they? Yeah, 
you know, all the, the Pharisees are in a funny place compared but with everybody saw, else. But they saw also as their power would be gone. Yeah. Yeah. So it is all, it's, it, you know, the, the, yeah, might be. If they see this Messiah, then I think, oh. You, you'd ask the question, why did the chief priest want to question Jesus on that night before they put him to death? Why did they want to put him to death? Yeah. If he is the Messiah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I mean, we are in a privileged position. We look back rather than yeah. forward. They're looking forward. They're, they're thinking, hang on, this, is, this, this doesn't fit with our agenda. Never mind God's agenda, this doesn't fit with our agenda. And, you know, and I guess in some respects we all do that. We've all got our own agendas. We've got to be conscious of God's agenda in our lives as well, in all of that. Um, so, and then it goes on in John, with, uh, with, with John the Baptist. So now I'm going to read John 1, 24 to 31. <clears throat> now the Pharisees who, <coughs> who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptise if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophets? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptising. Now I thought about that. Why Bethany on the other side of the Jordan? Because that isn't the Bethany that we know. Bethany doesn't appear in the Old Testament. Bethany only appears in the New Testament. And suddenly there's a Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. And John's very clear, Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. Now, on your maps you won't find Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. We do know that John the Baptist was was, was baptising and preaching in the wilderness... And one of the towns he names, you can find on the map, you can today, but can't remember, you can probably go back and looking up on front. Sorry about that. But it's, it's further north. So, it's, it's, it, so what John is saying, that, that uh, where Jesus turned up was, you know, Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, somewhere in this area, on the eastern, eastern side of the, of the Jordan, in a place called Bethany. So why does he introduce Bethany on the other side of the Jordan? to not confuse it with Bethany on this side of the Jordan, which is a few miles, a couple of miles walk, I think, from Jerusalem. Why? Because Bethany is also important, and it fits, and it goes straight back to what you were just getting excited about, Carol. Um, because Bethany on the other side of the, the Jordan, um, Bethany is on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives overlooks Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, this is what Zechariah uh, prophesies about the Mount of Olives, which is where Bethany is. On that, this is Zechariah 14, verses 4. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half the mountains moving north and half moving south. So you mentioned but he mentions Bethany, you think of Bethany, you think of Bethany on the Mount of Olives, not Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. And you then go back to John quoting, a voice of one calling in the desert, make way the paths because every hill and valley, and he's quoting effectively Isaiah through, Zeph- um, through Zechariah. As far as I can see, they're both talking about the same period. So again, even his mention of Bethany makes them think of Bethany, and as soon as they start thinking of Bethany, they start thinking of the Mount of Olives, not strictly a word pointing back to the Old Testament, but a word that points to the place that they know is the Mount of Olives, and it all hangs again together, as far as I can see. You're looking a bit blank, some of you. You're not. 
Happy about that? Hello, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bethany in the New Testament, that's the one where Lazarus and Mary yeah. and Martha. And this is why I thought, because he introduces Bethany now at the very start, although it's a different Bethany, but he's very clear to make sure everybody knows it's a different Bethany so they know where the Bethany is. So he introduces the, the concept of Bethany in chapter 1, and then, when you, and then in chapter 11, he gets to Lazarus, who comes from Bethany. Bethany is on the Mount of Olives. All of this happens. The, next, the last 10 chapters start in Bethany. So, the, new, the new, new Testament Bethany. Yeah, the New Testament Bethany, yeah. So as you know, you know, quoted what it said about the, the mountains will be split yeah, yeah, yeah. in two halves. Yeah. Is those two halves, is that Bethany in two halves? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> No, no, I think, I think, <laughs> no, I think all he's trying to do is to emphasize to us the Bethany from the Mount of Olives point of view, because the Mount of Olives is where Jesus returns in due yeah, time. Yeah. So, and, and that's why I think it's important, because he's, he effectively, although he's not got, a, got no part of the story, he's got the real Bethany to refer to, by introducing Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, which is not the Bethany of the Mount of Olives, he introduces the word Bethany. And people think, Bethany, I know Bethany, that's on the Mount of Olives, blah, blah, blah. But he said, not that one. But he introduces Bethany there because at the end of, at the end of his book of signs, he does his last sign in Bethany where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then the story kicks off from Bethany where they're up and, you know, remember they're going from Bethany, Bethany into Jerusalem, back to Bethany into Jerusalem for those first two or three nights before he goes, goes for the Last Supper, etc. on the, probably the Wednesday, as it were. So the Bethany on the east of the Jordan, is that the area that John the Baptist yes. was yeah. on the other yes. side? Yes, yeah. he, ba- he was baptising on the other side of the Jordan. And as I say, that he, there's, there's quite a, um, a, 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 an area, potentially, on the eastern side of the Jordan where the pair of them were wandering. When you, when you read chapter 1, you, you get the idea that John is, ba- is, is baptising and preaching. Jesus comes along and he's doing it around the same area because his disciples in chapter 1 also were baptising. Jesus wasn't baptising, his disciples were baptising. Why couldn't it be the same Bethany? Because it's not. It says it's on the other side of the Jordan. Yeah. What? What did you say? Because before, Eleanor, if you're, it's Bethany here, John was on this side, didn't it? So it was almost before what Jesus was going to do. So, well, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Before Bethany and after Bethany. But you just said, I'm not arguing, I was just trying to understand it. I've yeah. got a map in front of me. Yeah. There's the Jordan, yeah. and there's Bethany on, a, on the side of the Jordan. On the western side of Jordan, near Jerusalem. Yes. Yeah. Why can't that still be the same Bethany? Because he says Bethany on, on the other side. I say east, he says other side. Oh, I see what you mean. So, so other could be, other. your other side is all relevant to where you're standing, isn't it? The other side is only on, on the west if you're standing on the east. It is, yes. So how, do but, it's, how do we know because, it's two because, Bethany? But, Largely, I'm taking it on the basis that, that Judea doesn't go on. I don't, think Judea, I don't think Judea at that time goes on to the other side of, of uh, Bethany, and he was uh, on the other side of the Jordan, as it were. I'm, I'm presuming that it is Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan, so I have made that presu- assumption. I did think about it being the same side, and I therefore, but I, I came to the conclusion I'd probably reject that, and it is on the on, on the what east. basis, though? Because you said it's not, yeah, this, this, if there's two Bethany's, why would there be two Bethany's close to the Jordan? That yeah. would just be confusing. That'd be like having Carmarthen and Carmarthen. Well, one is, one, one, let's be clear, one, one Bethany is on the Mount of Olives. Yeah. It's very difficult for a river to be on the mountain. Yeah. 
So that, so that you know, you've got to go down into the, the valley to get to the Jordan. So, right. you, so yeah. So you actually, you're actually not on a mountain. You're not, you're not on a mountain if you're at the Jordan because the Jordan didn't flow, th- it flows through the mountains, but it's at a lower level. So I, mean, I, I, you do get lots of town called the same thing, even though they're quite close, in even this country. I thought it was like Wales when he was talking about it. I thought, oh yeah, it's like Wales. But couldn't it, couldn't it though, just to play like devil's advocate for one second. Okay. Verse 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. So this, as in all of this general stuff happened, on the Mount of Olives at Bethany, that's nothing to still stop them going down the mountain to do the baptising. All right. Well, if, if, if you're right... That'd be even cooler. It's even cooler. Yeah. Because you've got the real Bethany being introduced right at the very beginning because it's Have important. Have you got two Bethany's on a map anywhere? No. Well, there you go then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the point is, he's able to introduce Bethany. He's able to introduce, he, he makes a deliberate plot to introduce Bethany there. Yeah. And on the basis of first mention, that's the first mention of the word Bethany in the New Testament, and it doesn't appear in the Old Testament. So whenever you, you, you know, John's looking at Bethany and you're reading John, you're going to go back to when he first introduced the concept of Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives, which is where the triumph comes, which is why the, the quotation from John is important, why the quotation from Zechariah is important, and it all fits in with Isaiah and the second coming and all of that. The whole second coming is being introduced in chapter 1 of John by the mere mention of Bethany. It's not just the mere message of Bethany, because we've also got the quotation from, from what John's saying, that the one crying in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. So all of that fits in that context as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. The next day, uh, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I, my, and I myself did not know him, But the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And the other Gospels, as you know, have the the fuller account of uh, the baptism of Jesus and the Spirit coming coming down on him. But interestingly, of course, John uh, is related to Jesus because their mothers are cousins. And Elizabeth, his mother, certainly knew that, that, that Mary was carrying the Messiah. She said that she felt her baby, John, leap in her womb when, when, when Mary arrived at her home to, to visit her. So he potentially, I mean, he knew, he knew of Jesus, he knew Jesus, but perhaps he hadn't had that same revelation that the Holy Spirit had given Elizabeth, which Mary then shared with her subsequently from her point of view uh, at that point, and they were waiting for John, for the, just the fullness of the Holy Spirit, for John to be introduced to this man who he knew as his second cousin or whatever they call him, second, third, I don't know what you are, but you know what I mean, the, his relative was the one. So shock, surprise from John's point of view that Jesus is now revealed 
as the one that uh, was promised. And, uh, and after that, we then move into the rest of chapter one is, is, is John's account of the calling of some of the disciples uh, in um, uh, 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 most of the account of the calling of the disciples is in Galilee. And part of the confusion with, between the Old Testament and the New Testament is where, where, the, where that calling took place. Because they then decide to, to, to go to Jerusalem, uh, to, to leave Jerusalem, to go to Galilee. So, and I think when I went through the Gospels in the past, there is this, this upping and downing between Galilee and Jerusalem. Jerusalem for the, for the various feasts. But John has him start in, in, in uh, Jerusalem, as does he, because the devil took him when he was tempted, tempted, tempted uh, to, you know, to the highest pinnacle and look over all of, all of Jerusalem, etc. And so we had all of, all of, the, all of the accounts seem to have an early start in Jerusalem, but then the, the, the rest of that, most of that ministry then takes place, the early ministry takes place in, in Galilee. So quite where, he, where this calling that is described in John happens, whether it was associated with the Jordan, I don't know. Um, but the interesting thing is, with it, there is a, then a link into chapter 2, which I hadn't seen until this week, um, when I was reading it again, was that, um, uh, and obviously this is the, the, the first of the signs uh, in, in chapter 2, is the water into wine, the, the wedding in Canaan. Um, and on the third day, this is chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was, was there. Um, on the third day, difficult to know what they mean by on the third day. I mean, we don't have an account of what a wedding was like, but we know that many of the Asian weddings these days, you've been to Asian weddings, they go on forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. So it may have been on the, on the third day referred something somehow to the wedding. Because if you read the, the, the bottom half of chapter one, it goes on the next day, on the next day, on the next day, several times, as, as Jesus is going through different things and calling different disciples uh, in that section. And then you move to, and then, as I was saying earlier, bear in mind that there is no chapters in, on a scroll or in a, on, in a codex. These, these all flow one into the other. So you have on the next day, on the next day, on the next day, on the next day. There's about three or four of those on the next days. And it then says on the third day. And that's all in one sentence almost. You know, it's, it's the same context because they're not separated. They just come as a book. So you've got on the, on the next day, on the next day, on the next day, on the third day, which is... So, so that's how it reads in, 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 in Greek, as it were. Um, a wedding took place in Canaan. Now, Canaan, we know, is in Galilee. They place, they, the, the place is, they're not entirely sure, but it's on the uh, western side of, of, of Galilee, they, they suggest. Um, the context I discovered today is, is that Canaan is actually only mentioned in John's Gospel. So I went and looked at the other th- two places where Canaan is mentioned. And the last one is at the end of John's Gospel, and, it re- and it's in, co- in the context of Nathaniel, his, one of his disciples. So Nathaniel, his disciples, we're told at chapter 20 of John, comes from Cana in Galilee. But Nathaniel is one of, the ba- uh, one of the disciples who is called in chapter 1 of John. And Nathaniel is the one who says, Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now I just wonder, therefore, if... It was, it was Nathaniel's idea to actually invite him to, the, to this wedding feast in Cana because he is a clear link between Jesus, his disciples, uh, picking up his mother and then getting an invite to a, a wedding that may be something, something, a relative of Nathaniel who comes from Cana in Galilee. Because, of course, if you've actually said, 
Nazareth. Can anything come go, good come out of Nazareth about the bloke you're about to follow uh, ahead of the game? You suddenly realise how good he is. You might just have a bit of embarrassment that you want to try and put right. So you might just as well invite him to a wedding of a relative named Cana. Just the thought that occurred to me this morning when I found out where Cana was and who came from it, etc. Fascinating, some of the things that are in there. Um, and then, there's, then, I, then I thought I'd use, apply the principle of first mention in all of this. It's not terribly spiritual first mention, but when you come to the... the so you've got the, the, the wedding feast. On the, the, um, the next verse, uh, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited. So that's the context with Nathaniel. Chapter 2, verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to, to, said to him, they have no more wine. Like a, like, it's almost like my wife might say that. We've run out of wine. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's, in, in, you know it's his mum saying, you, they, they, they have no more wine. So, you know, and where is wine first mentioned in the Bible? Anybody think? Where is wine first mentioned in the Bible? Abraham. No, before Abraham. Moses. No, before Moses. Moses is after, Moses after Abraham, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Noah got Noah, drunk. Noah, yes. Got drunk. Noah got Noah. So the very first mention of wine is Noah. And the very first thing that Noah does with wine is get drunk. And so, you know, the first mention of wine anywhere, and, always, and people start thinking about, you know, certainly I, I always start thinking, oh, you know, wedding, wine's run out, blah, blah. So your first thought is drunkenness, effectively, because they've had too much to drink already. Uh, but the, but you know on this on this principle of first mention that's the very first mention of of uh, of wine in the Bible is Noah who plant who, who gets off his boat plants a vineyard and the first thing he does is get sloshed <laughs> so yes it's all it's all there in that in that sense. anyway Jesus says why do you in woman verse four why do you involve me my hour has not yet come and John in his gospel, has on a number of occasions in those first 11 verses the concept where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. He has a very clear plan leading up to that final week of Jerusalem. It's a plan that God and himself and the Holy Spirit created before this whole thing was formulated, before the creation of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They were planning for our salvation. So his, my hour has not, has not yet come, is Jesus just warning every, you know, those who are around him that there is a certain context of, of how things can be placed in time in relation to uh, the second part of John's Gospel where his glory is going to be uh, revealed. Um, on the chapter 1, verse 36, when John introduces him as the Lamb of God, was that pointing to the sacrificial Yes. Yes, definitely, the sacrificial lamb of God. Yeah. Yes. I didn't do that. There's too much to get in. <laughs> uh, uh, where are we? Yeah. Um, so, and verses uh, to, to John 2, 5 to 10. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet, banquet tasted the water, the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine. 
after the guests have, have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. So, and in, in, so in, in John's account, we've got the, uh, the first display uh, that, that uh, John is pointing to of his glory being displayed. In this case, his, his command over the, of the, over the natural, his ability to take command over the, uh, the, the, the natural world. Um, and perhaps what John is pointing to is, is many of the phrases that, that relate to abundance that come from the Old Testament. Uh, the Isaiah 35, 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. And similarly, Joel 3.18. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of that Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. And Amos 9.13 The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the ploughman and the planter by, in other words, there's so much, and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and will flow down from all the hills. So John is taking this as a sign of God's abundance that that comes with the new creation and the the, the new heavens and the new earth in that new creation at at the end of time. And each of his signs, he's got seven of these signs that he works through before you uh, pointing, to, uh, pointing to the glory, before you move to the, the book of glory, which is his second uh, section. So I'm proposing that we might take time looking through some of those other ones. You've got done the water into wine, we've done Lazarus, uh, raising Lazarus, but there's uh, healing of an official son, uh, healing the, uh, the disabled man at Bethesda, but that one's also in Mark, Matthew and Mark. It's actually only two that are in, the, in any other gospel, so there's that one, and then the feeding of 5,000, which is in all four gospels, and then the others are, so, so all these others are unique. So this one, the water into wine, the official son who he heals, walking on water is unique to John, and healing a man, the man blind, born blind, is also unique to John. So we'll try and I'll aim to have a look at some of those later on and see what they point back to, as well as forward in terms of the glory of God. And we'll leave it there, and we'll move over on to the. I found a cool thing to tell you after though. Breaking your bread. Tell us the cool thing now. Well, if you look at the end of chapter ten into chapter eleven, right? Because there's yeah. a reference to it. So chapter 10 of John, verse 40, says, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptising in the early days, and he stayed there, right? So that could be the bit where he's baptising, right? But in the next chapter, then he then travels a little distance to Bethany to heal Lazarus. So if the Bethany in chapter 1, or chapter 2, whichever one we're in, was the Bethany, so John's baptising here, yeah. and then he has this conversation not too that far away yeah. on the Mount of Olives with all those dudes who are giving him a hard time here. Yeah. It's not that far away. They like to travel, so it's possible. It is. Steve's now looking at a Bible. He's now got one as well. <laughs> You've got all these people reading the Bible. It's shocking. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm so delighted that you have been challenged to think and to... Oh, you're doing it. Think. Yeah, and, I've got my Bible on speaking. <laughs> And looking, Steve, do you want us to wait for you, or should we go on? Um, I'm just checking something. I'd like to go over something just simple, like this, that, that. I don't mean it's whatever. 
just read John again. Just read it and you see, you know, that's yeah. There's no Christmas story in John, that's the only thing. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I, 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 there is, there is. You're just missing it. <laughs> okay, you can write it down. Yeah, the Christmas stories and everything. Yeah, yeah no, I know. Everything. What was it? What was, was something to... It's not about Christmas, it's yeah. Christmas, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I just heard someone speaking some years ago. Sorry, I'm fine. The people yeah. talking. Isaiah 41. You mentioned about the. Can you just read that? I, I'm going to struggle to read. So can you read that bit for me about the, the hills being. Yeah, hold on. Hi, oh, crumbs. My glasses, hang on. Isaiah 41. You mean or, or you mean Isaiah forty? Isaiah forty. Yeah, Isaiah forty. Yeah, Isaiah forty. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed for all people. We'll see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This person was saying, there's one reference there, and one reference in Isaiah 41. Uh, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, for every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. There is now a, in those, that was long, long ago, now there's a road that's been driven through, filling in the valleys, hill <laughs> soil taken from the hills. Uh, also, in, in Isaiah 41, uh, it says, um, I will make the wilderness a pool of water, the dry land springs of water. Uh, I will put in the wilderness the seed of the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. And I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. Uh, and in actual fact, the Israeli nation has cultivated the desert and turned it from a desert into a productive farmland. Right. So, just as an aside. Wow. Do you know what else, though? Um, the last of that, because I'm really mad at Ben and Harlem, whatever they are. Yeah. But he said they're all going to be together. So, that's going to give me more hope. That, you know, <laughs> they're all going to be better. <laughs> I really feel for the Palestinians. Yeah. That's okay. So, we, we have our Lord to thank for the privileged position that we are in. And so, let us uh, come around the table and, and uh, take, take the bread and the wine. Let's just pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the time that we've shared. Thank you for the conversations, Lord. Thank you for the challenges. Thank you, Lord, that t- t- together we are learning so much from you. And we just praise you and thank you for all that new learning that is going on uh, in our hearts and minds as we spend time delving into uh, what, you, what you're saying to us, Lord, during, that, during our times together. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We do pray it's been a blessing to you. If you have any questions or you need to reach out to anyone for support, please know that you can find us now on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Cross Hands Christian Centre.